Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. How are you? It's Daryl, and it's episode 6 of Cage Rage and Nicolas Cage Podcast. Still need to figure out some kind of intro music there, because it, it really feels like I should have something. Um, but that aside, are you good? Are you well? Sun's out. Gun's out. You know what that means. It's time for me to get my pasty little pins out. That'll be fun, won't it? Burning again. Thought this long winter was never going to end, and now suddenly... I'm wearing shorts. I'm a pasty white man with ginger hair. What the fuck am I thinking? Do I want to die? Apparently, I do. Let's get the admin out of the way. Top of the show. We've got the Twitters. We've got the Instagrams. So Twitter. You can follow us on there where there's sometimes little posts here, little posts there. That's at cage underscore podcast on Instagram at cage rage pod. We're also on YouTube. Just search cage rage and Nicholas cage podcast. And hopefully you'll find me. That would be nice. Subscribe to that. That would be good. Helps the show. And if you want to show the show a little more show of support, when I'm on Kofi as well, or coffee, Kofi, I really should learn how that's actually pronounced. Uh, please consider visiting, if you are able, if you feel so inclined, Kofi.com. That's K-O-F-I.com forward slash Daryl Edge, D-A-R-R-Y-L-E-D-G-E. That would be really uh, appreciated of you if you could support the, the show in any way that you can. If you can give us a follow on Spotify, give us a follow and a share on the YouTube, that would be really lovely. Helps the show grow. So um, that aside, how's your week been? You been all right? Has it been okay? We're in May now. That's a thing that's happened. May's happened. Um, we've got murder hornets. It's the lockdown being eased. No one knows probably should know by now it would be nice um for myself i found out that uh not only have i been furloughed but i've been rehired by the old employment as well won't name them because i don't want to get into any legal trouble um but my employment history ever since i moved to the north has been hired resigned hired let go furloughed rehired so i'm kind of like the henry the eighth of employment which is much better when you consider I haven't killed any women in order to do it. So that's good. Enjoyed that. Um, bin day was yesterday. I'm talking about bins three weeks in, um, three minutes in even. So it's a slow, slow week, if anything. Uh, the only thing is just trying to, and this is going to sound a bit harsh, try to avoid the neighbour who, Again, I won't name for potentially legal reasons. His name may or may not be in, but um, I won't name him. Uh, lovely guy helped me get my washing machine into the house, which was nice but when uh, this was vacated and then re-unvacated by... Um, he keeps trying to talk to me when I go outside. And I'm, I'm not antisocial, but sometimes 
you just don't want to be social, you know? Um, an example of this, last week, or I think about two weeks ago, because the whole time scale of my life and days and hours and time means nothing anymore, ended up taking the bin out at half one in the morning before I do it before I go to bed. As I was coming back in, he opened the door half one in the morning to have a conversation with me. Who's doing that? Who's trying to talk to anyone at half one in the morning? Do you know what I mean? Now, fortunately, I've legged it right inside and locked the door. Because I can't, can't be doing with that. If you've got any annoying neighbours like that, how do you deal with them? Do you just tolerate it? Do you just have to deal with it? I'd be interested to know other things having to deal with and also the reason why this week's episode is late, for which I uh, apologise. The basic bitch broadband in the area has been letting us down at Casa de la Cage. Casa de la Cage this week had to phone the old provider and find out what was going on, to which they responded, honestly, and I appreciate it, uh, your broadband is essentially unusable. So it's been dropping, it's been working when it feels like it, gotta have someone out to look at it. Um, so that's a thing that's happening, uh, which is why unfortunately this episode has been a bit late, because it makes it a little bit difficult to get information on the films um, and watch them when there's no internet connection to work with. However, however, it's held strongly enough that I could get through the sixth film on our journey to True Cage Nirvana, because nothing's going to stop the journey to True Cage Nirvana. No basic bitch broadband is going to stop your boy and your boys and boyettes from journeying me on the cage train. And we go to 1986 to Boy in Blue, a 1986 Canadian drama sports film with some comedy in there. It's a bit of everything, really. Uh, directed by Charles Jarrett, and of course, starring our dearest boy himself, our little blue boy, Nicolas Cage. Distributed by 20th Century Fox, you see. Even the big hitters now, they're clocking onto Cage. 1986, they're picking up what he's putting down. It was written by Douglas Bowie, co-produced by Steve North, John Kemeny. And Dennis Harrow, or Herox, H-E-R-O-U-X. Um, I hope that didn't sound like I was doing a horrible impression of someone saying hello there. Uh, please put the pitchforks down. It was filmed in Quebec and Ontario, Canada, and released on January 17th, 1986. And the film is based on the life of the famous and perhaps one of the biggest Toronto rowboys, Toronto scholars, Ned Hanlon, which is the character played by Nicolas Cage, and perhaps six films in the first somewhat normal name any of his characters have ever had. Now, looking at the reviews, it was reviewed pretty harshly upon release, um, with only a little approval rating of 44% on them rotten tomatoes. Some of the reviews were not exactly glowing. The New York Times said the film lacks excitement. The performances were no more exciting than the scripts. Uh, to which, you know, the New York Times, I've got nothing against you personally, but you never besmirch Nicolas Cage by claiming his performances are not exciting. On the other hand, it is a film about rowing, so I can kind of see, to some extent, where you're coming from there. Um, I mean, is it also, 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 
Also, it's a film about rowing, so I don't really know what you expected. Likewise, the Montreal Gazette also criticised the script in saying it was hard to tell whether some of the actors were doing a good job. (laughs) Um, Best part about that review for me is that you know for a fact there's no way they are possibly referencing Nicolas Cage, even though he's the lead actor. The Globe and the Mail, rounding out some of the bigger reviews here, they took issue with the casting of Nicolas Cage. So, I think we've got to create a new category on the show here, the official Nick Cage shit list. Globe and Mail, well done. You've just made the shit list, you pieces of. You complete, you utter, you verified, certified, one of a kind, insert swear here. The issue that they've taken is because Ned Hanlon is a Canadian. Nicolas Cage is American. And to paraphrase their criticism, Nick Cage, and I stress allegedly here, made (laughs) Nick Cage made no effort to Canadianize himself and they have further wished to tarnish the greatest actor of our generation by saying the film was merely a showcase for an American actor's chest, as if this is somehow a bad thing. So shut your mouths, the Globe and Mail, you cucks. There, I said it. I said it, I'm not taking it back. The Globe and Mail are cucks. Alright, so that's out there. At me, if you want, the Globe and Mail. I'm not scared. I'll take on the uh, the media powers of the Globe and Mail, if I have to. Um, I mean, that being said, though, Nick Cage's chest does come out so much in this film. So much. Like, even for a rowing film, where you can imagine certain parts of the anatomy will be shown. Arms, torso, chest, that kind of thing. It's out a lot. He just doesn't stop whipping it out. And again, I know some of the criticism has touched upon the script here. Was it in the script for him to get undressed so many times? I have to hazard not. Was I complaining? (laughs) Also not. The film was nominated for three Genie Awards given out by the Academy of Canadian Cinema and Television, which aims to recognise the best Canadian cinema. Now, some may say that Cage was snubbed here, um, given the fact that he wasn't nominated for anything in these awards, but, but we all know that he's such a generous actor And his hog is of such a size that he didn't need the recognition, okay? Awards are whatever you want them to be. We make them what they are with lip service and passed over time and we give them all this power. But when your hog is of such a girth and of such a fortitude, what do awards really mean? You know? We start the film with some uh, Star Wars-like captions scrolling up the screen and we get a bit of text to set the scene. And it reads, as such, before baseball, football, or soccer, one sport alone captured the imagination of both the rich and the poor, sculling. You see, that cage is bridging the gap between societal divides. He is the man who connects the rich and the poor. We're all the same when we're on cage's level. Carrying on, the masses turned out by the thousands to cheer the heroes as they battled on the water while gamblers won and lost fortunes on the outcome. This is the true story of a young oarsman, Ned Hanlon, a.k.a. Nick Cage. Again, the first normal name a Cage character has had yet to my recollection. Um, More importantly, and we have a new new record here, 52 seconds in, 
And we have our first confirmed cage sighting. That's a new record. And guess what? He is rowing the shit out of that boat. Now this is kind of this is kind of the theme of the film here. Um he rows the shit out of boats. Now I'm not saying don't watch the film. And I curse myself for saying this. Is it the most interesting or engaging film you will ever watch? No. Because the whole crux of the film is that Nick Cage plays the man who's very good at rowing, who's just better at other people than rowing, and wins a lot whilst rowing. There's not a lot of drama or suspense to it, I'll be honest. But if you like seeing Nicolas Cage's arms, it's a good showcase for the arms as well, that I, I can't recommend this enough. He overtakes some of the rowboat sucker like it's nothing. I can also confirm that Nicolas Cage broke no sweats. I didn't see him sweat once. In any rowing scenes, he didn't sweat. In workout scenes, he was sweating. So I don't know what the artistic decision was there, or what the directorial conversation was that decided that Cage wouldn't sweat at any point. Um, now, he's not sweating. I was sweating watching it. I'd already popped a raging hog about one minute into this. We get some boat collision. Cage yells that the bastard man is a bastard. Yeah, he, do, he does yell at boats a lot in this, for whatever reason. Um, the bastard man is a bastard, so that is spot on. Hanlan raw paddles maybe past 100 other contenders, approximately 10, maybe 100. And honestly, he might as well have raw-dogged every single one of those losers. Um, now the crowd is cheering, Cage is smiling. I feel alive. I hope you feel alive too, just listening to this, and you get the sense of power that those biceps, those shoulders, those triceptuals, that grip. Oh lord, that grip. As Cage wins, he smiles, he waves at the losers, and just suddenly happens to tuck into a bottle of victory booze that just happened to be in the boat. That's the kind of confidence I can admire. You're so confident you're going to win this little rowing race that you've already got your victory drink prepared. Cage knew Cage was never in doubt that he was going to win. And that's what I'm all about here. So a slick businessman approaches Hanlon after the race, offers to be his manager. When you see raw talent like that, why wouldn't you want that in your life? He says to him, look, I can take you to Philadelphia. Away from all this Canada nonsense, I could get 50 to 1 odds on the cage man, easy money. And let's be honest, mortgages have been paid off on us. With those kind of winnings. Now Cage, not interested. And he heads off to deliver some moonshine. Now it's now it's not really explained that he's a bootlegger. You kind of just have to put that together. That he's a... This is his little side gig. The old bootlegging. So when he's bootlegging, he rows off into the night. He's stopped by a, a, a literal flaming torch wielding mob. Because they didn't like bootlegging. Whenever it was this film was set. I think it's the, the 1800s. Late 1800s. Uh, they blow whistles at him at all sorts. Cage tells them to piss off, and he just rows away into the night without a single bit of hassle. Love that. And you know what the next scene is? And I've been talking, you know, for 16 or so minutes now, and you've been thinking, you know, this is all good and well, that Cage is a champion. But where's the sex? Seven minutes in, Cage is straight up raw dogging, because of course he is. His lovely partner is riding him like a bucking bronco. Absolute scenes here, right? Six films in. This is the happiest I've ever seen anyone on the receiving end of a Cage hog. I need to lie down. How can such 
right, how can such a poorly reviewed film contain so much excitement so early? They're wobbling around each other, the bed is creaking, they're having a good time, and I'm just, you know, I was just clapping in support of such an incredible scene. Now, unfortunately, the feds arrive to arrest our hogging hero, but he soon escapes out the window, as any gentleman would, and the manager McCoy aids his escape, and Cage somehow rows with such speed that he catches up to a moving steamboat. Jesus Christ, his fucking ribs. I'm not saying the Globe and Mail were correct, but they weren't wrong, right? Now, the manager admits to setting up Cage, uh, tipping him off to the feds about where he was, where he was hogging. Mm, not ideal. Uh, just for the purposes of getting him on the boat to Philadelphia. He adds that... He adds that the woman he was hogging earlier, he says, I can't see what she saw in you. And Cage replies, the same thing that you saw. Natural ability. Fucking hell, lads. Fucking hell. 1986. What a turning point for Nick Cage. Only ten minutes in, and we are just raw-dogging and then throwing out zingers about raw-dogging. This is... This is sensational cinema. This is history, right? And the again, the Globe and Mail, even though you've raised some points, fuck off. So they do visit Philly. Cage is dressed like the peakiest of blinders. Um, it did occur to me at this point in the film that I didn't actually know what year this film was set in, so I had to check the Wikipedia page of Ned Hanlon and noted that he lived from 1855 to 1908. But, as we all know, as anyone on the Cage train to true Cage Nirvana knows, Cage cannot be confined by something as linear, as menial as the concept of time. So, um, I don't know, this film's set in 2012, even though it was made in 1986. Bit of fun in it. It's a bit of fun. So Hanlon expects the new sculling boat that's been created for him, and he's got this slidey little seat. The, the seat slides back and forth like those rowing machines in the gym so basically i don't think it's too much of a uh, of a big step of a leap to say that nicholas cage invented cardio right so all you gym bozos out there listening to this you're welcome without cage we wouldn't have discovered blood we'd have no understanding of organs and you wouldn't have the equipment designed to get your bodies into such a greek god-like state so they take it for a test row some jerks are trashing the inventor man. Cage falls in the water for some 19th century slapstick. It later, in the very next scene, just suddenly works. As Handon tells us, it glides like butter. So interesting fact I found here that uh, Canadian swimmers use butter to train. Yeah, that's a thing I found out. They literally fill paddling pools with the stuff and they roll around it like pigs in maple syrup. Sweet Canadian mate mate. Ned's first race begins, he's given a hundred to one odds. The same odds of me finding an audience for this podcast. More impressively, Ned finishes second. He could easily have won. I do want it out there that he could easily have won. He caught up to a steamboat, for fuck's sake. But he likes to give the weaker opposition a chance, build up their confidence, so he can crush them at a later date. So at a pub, Ned is interviewed by some pap, and because of Ned's blue uniform... He's given the title by the media, The Boy in Blue, just like the film. They said it. You know that thing that they do in films where, um, you know, the character says the film title? <clears throat> right there, the bloody did it. 
Now, some blackguards, right, some absolute bozos, tried to spike Cage's drink to get him out of the race the next night. He's having none of it. A little ruckus ensues. Cage escapes with his manager. They hide under a prostitute's dress, because that's the kind of quick thinker that he is. One of the buggers does capture the manager and just snaps his arm in the ensuing confusion, uh, because he's taken the fall for Cage. And quite frankly, if you thought that sculling was just fancy lads and dandy women, you couldn't be more wrong. I've lost so many friends to the Oxford-Cambridge boat race because none of them were the boy in blue. All of them are dead losers. Following this, more clips of Cage racing and being entirely unaffected by his manager being physically maimed to defend him. It's never touched up on again. There's one little blink and you'll miss it clip um, of McCoy in a crowd with a sling. Never addressed again. He got his arm broken for no reason and for no thanks. Um, I'm also 98% certain that there was a really microscopic clip of Nicolas Cage rowing quicker than some flying geese. There's every chance I had a stroke. Geese are natural stroke inducers. Again, I know I've mentioned it earlier, Cage still has not sweated in any rowing scene yet, even though every rowing scene is out on a river of some description in the blazing sun. Now, since I recorded that sentence, about six hours have gone past, and there's a number of reasons for that. One is that my cat kept trying to get into the recording room, which is fine. No issue with that. Love my cat. The other, you remember Ian, who I mentioned on the top of the episode? Well, he decided that during my little recording time, I don't ask for much, he'd get out his power washer, his little jet washer, and wash his fucking house walls. Who the fuck's washing the house walls? Some of us are trying to record a podcast about Nick Cage, the greatest actor of our generation, you disrespectful boomer. And then his grandkids came over. Last time I checked, we're supposed to be in the middle of a quarantine. And your grandkids are over. So yeah, you've got clean walls, but now your kids have got coronavirus. Was it worth it? Was disrupting my podcast that worth it to you? Huh? The one the one measuring stick of success I've got with my f- five subscribers, and this, this, is what you do to me? You son of a bitch, Ian. The, the rounding off joke to that was, um, for Cage having no sweat glands, that he's probably like Prince Andrew, and I hope we can share a pizza express sometime, because Nick Cage gives me the impression of a man who likes a bowl full of croutons. Picking up where we left off, 25 minutes in to the film, and Hanlon is being hailed as a Canadian hero. At the medal ceremony, we should be celebrating the sportsman, this Olympian, this record-setter, in sporting history, but instead, Cage is giving a lady sitting next to him the raw dog eyes, so, medal ceremony aside, you know his heart and his hog are in the right place. Cage and McCoy then meet the manager, they meet the mayor, um, I didn't get his name, so let's call him Mayor Jim. Now, Jim wishes to take Hanlon, the hero, under his wing. He says, look, the bootleggers are after you. I can protect you. It turns out the woman that Cage was eye-banging earlier, Margaret Sullivan, 
was the mayor's niece. Ooh, how the oldie peculiar. Cage tells her he looks bigger with his clothes off. I tell you what, though. In six episodes, I have zero reasons at all to suspect that Nick Cage has ever acted without a rager in his pants. Maggie and Ned take a row together and quite unsubtly flirt about some sweet Canadian tongue bacon, if you know what I'm saying. I'm just thinking, guys, just hog already, because I'm getting sick of the suspense. We get a little high society shindig later on. Uh, Cage is getting roasted by some absolute toffs, some fucking fops, about his smell, which I can only assume smells like um, the sweet connection of a hug. I think Nick Cage smells like a hug. However, Cage quickly retaliates, not with words, but with fists, because that's the kind of quick thinker that he is. Punches him right in the gut. It's like a low punch. It's like a Mortal Kombat character when you're just spamming down and punch, down and punch. He absolutely fatalitied this bugger. 19th century courting, this is what you had to do. You had to punch people to win over Maggie. Now, Maggie wasn't a big fan of it. She has a little argue with Cage. They kiss and then take, and then uh, Cage takes a slap for his troubles. So, like I said, it's a different ball game. What do you do here to court someone to show them that you really do care about them? Do you be sophisticated and go along with this smelly B.O. bants? Or do you raw dog? Well, yeah, what are you meant to do? If you don't feel for Cage in this scene, then I don't really know. You have no soul. Because surely, from an acting perspective... Uh, from the perspective of a human being watching a film, you know that Handlin's hog is surely engorged and aching with sadness. So the natural response here is to drink his sorrows away. He's, that's where he's gone with that. You know, can't, can't complain at that. That's where he is. We've all been there. That's where I am in isolation. And he almost blows the next race. However, another racer who's bet on Handlin sabotages himself so not to lose out on those sweet, sweet dollar bills. Even wasted, Nicolas Cage's aura, his presence, his mantra of living is so intimidating that other scholars will shit themselves instantly. Only those on the path to true Cage Nirvana, like me and you, dear listener, will have the cleanest bloomers. The back of the bootlegging check, an officer blindsides Handlin, arrests him, McCoy goes to visit him and he says, look, you've got to work with the mayor. It's lesser of two evils here. We've got to dance with that devil. Otherwise, you're never going to get out. And Cage agrees because he's a good businessman. And if anything, would probably survive a little too well in prison. Do you know what I mean? He'd be the prison king and run the yard. The biggest dog with the largest hog. Who's the alpha? It's Nick Cage, baby. Bark, bark, y'all. So they're talking shop, Cage and the mayor talking about contractual information, is about to sign on the dotted line, but good old Maggie suspects Handlin may be getting a bum deal, suggests he gets a solicitor, because 50-50 split, when he is doing all the rowing, that doesn't seem fair, and Cage agrees, you know why? Because he's got business sense. You know why else? Because he's got a throbber for Max. A proper throbber for Max. A proper throbber. Hashtag Nick Cage proper throbber. You say that five times when you've had a bit to drink. Now, Cage gets a new trainer on the back of this. Uh, your boy, Percy Collins, inventor of the Percy Pig, but nowhere near as full 
of pig trotters and gelatin. Percy tells Cage, you need to bust a gut training. Remember, you always have to bust a gut before you bust a nut, and that is Cage Training 101. So it clearly works. It clearly works because Cage is earning riches and hogging bitches. Earning riches, hogging bitches. Bust a gut before you bust a nut. Hashtag proper proper throbber. Earning riches, hogging bitches. So many trophies. So many trophies. And I actually lost count in yet another montage of how many times he was held aloft by adoring fans with a trophy in his hand. Um, Really, it brings a tear to your eye to see someone who is already good at rowing be even better at rowing. So it's, this isn't, you know, a rags to riches. This is a cage to bitches story. And there's a difference. So he's training now. Hamlin's training on an OG rowing machine, which looks like basically just a penny farthing on a giant green box. He's got a blue headband on, which to me looks like just the natural sequel to The Karate Kid, which, you know, of course, be The Karate Man, The Karate Man. He's doing sit-ups and lifting weights. Incredible composure. I did a sit-up accidentally getting out of bed and haven't forgiven myself about that, and that was six years ago. But seeing this, just seeing the acting display of this American chest, again, fuck you, the Globe and Mail, or whichever one it was, one of you male bastards, um, and I say that broadly, who doesn't respect Cage as the greatest actor of our generation that he is. Now, he's not just obsessed with rowing, you know, he's still got Maggie in his heart, he buys Maggie a Labrador, and he calls it Rowboat, because of course he does. Um, Now, Rowboat, second only to Cage, has offered some of the best acting in this whole film, and I don't say that lightly, Um, so if I could rate it currently, it would go Nicolas Cage, obviously, followed by Rowboat the dog, and then there was a horse I saw in the background at one point in the film, Um, really... The the Rushmore of acting, if I was going to put anyone in fourth, it would be the sliding seat saddle. It gets a lot more screen time than you'd think that seat saddle, so it has to be up there and recognised by the Genie Awards. Maggie and you know the cameraman take some sweet time to check out Cage's sweat-soaked torso. Mm-mm-mm. Robo hasn't got a fucking clue what's happening at this point. Cage tells Maggie that he loves her. But Maggie bombshells him, absolutely blitzes him, and says that she's engaged to some other cunt. Why the fuck would you lead on Nicolas Cage when he's just bought you a fucking hound? Now it turns out that the mayor, her uncle, has put her up to the whole bloody thing. Right, if Cage is raging, he'll row like a thoroughbred horse if a horse could row and had hands. And now, you fucked off the horse, but not jacked, jacked up, jacked, you've not jacked off the horse. It's not, wasn't quite the analogy I was going for there. I'll be honest, in the, in the six hours between these recording sessions, I've maybe been drinking a little bit, um, really gotten into crack and rum in a big way. Not an ad, hashtag not an ad, but if there are any representatives of Kraken or anyone who can, uh, Hooky boy up, I am quickly succumbing to an addiction, and I need me some of that sweet crack crack. The next day we see Cage's main competition for the North American Championship. Uh, some Australian guy who just looks like 
a cross-eyed Tom Selleck. Um, he's called Trickett. So that tells you all you need to know about this absolute character. Ozzy Selleck tells Cage he'll piss on him. Um, I, again, didn't quite get the context of this. I'm assuming that's just how Australians say hello to you. I'll piss on you, mate. I'll piss on your, your wife, mate. And then we'll have some shrimp together. Oi, oi, Gavner. Mayor McGee and the old boys explain that there's 25 thousand dollars on cage now if anything not high enough rookie numbers billy and dulcie that was the lady who cage was raw dogging seven minutes into the film they're engaged now they've come to visit hanlon um i mean they're getting engaged uh idiots cage is only engaged to the thrill of the skull later that night billy boy gets to sabotaging a boat Billy boy, I thought better of you. I thought you were a better man. Clearly not. Now, if it's Hanlon's, is what I was thinking at this moment, I'll fucking flip out. I'll go outside, and I'm going to cough on some people. Probably Ian. Fucking Ian. Billy tells Hanlon he's fixed the Aussie's boat. Now, Hanlon's livid. Cage wants to win fair and square, and calls Billy a small-timer. That's fighting talk. See what I mean? Even... With the threat of being pissed on by an Australian man, Nick Cage says, Let him talk his trash. I'll do my talking out on the river. I don't need any outside interference. Don't need no nonsense. We're going to do it on my terms. He's a man of honesty. He's a man of integrity. But he will sleep with your niece. No one's perfect. We've all got our vices right for Cage. It's a mayor's niece. Billy explains the mayor paid him off to do it. Controversial. Now, Hanlon, being the sporting man he is, he tells this to Trickett. He tells Trickett this is the case. Not everyone would have had the stones, nor nary, nay, next, the intestinal fortitude to expose such a cheatering, a holleration and hooleration. But Cage, being the kind of man that he is, being the upstanding character he is, Wants no excuses. He wants to beat you, fair and square, and then sleep with your wife. So they get to the rowing. Trickett is trash-talking him. Something out about piss. Um, oh, piss on your knees, Nicolas Cage. Did Whatever. Uh, Cage <laughs> screams bastard at him and rams him into the water. This is the thing I'm finding out about the world of rowing. There's a lot of bastards in it. A lot of bastards in the world of rowing. So if you ask me, that ram was a fair move. But if you ask the rowing committee of the late 1800s, um, they're not happy about that. They're not happy about such controversy in such a noble sport. And what do they do? They ban him from all the rowing races in America forever. Forever. Number four, EVA. Now, I think the rowing committee must have super loose joints because that's a big stretch. Wankers. The lot of them. Only God can judge Nicolas Cage, you old white fucks. You know who else was old white fucks? All the people at my auction who didn't bid on my items when I was on Bargain Hunt. So just like me, after the episode of Bargain Hunt had aired, Hanlon returns to his people to a hero's welcome. They sing, Cage cries, move over Dwayne the Rock Johnson, the people have a new champion. 
Handon visits Walter, the geezer who originally built the slidey chair, and he tells him, look, I can't race in America anymore. But, ding dong, light switch moment, I can race in England next year. Rule Britannia, Britannia rules the um, one specific river for racing. You know how that song goes. He says, look, Walter, if I win this, no band will stop me. You see, he's not sad. He's got galaxy brain. He's got a big old wrinkled brain. Every wrinkle tells a story. That's that's the kind of brain that says to me, you know, this person's got 350 megabyte internet connection. One that doesn't fail all the time when he's trying to record a Nick Cage podcast. Right? He's always planning his next moves. He just needs Walter's help to train him. And Walter agrees because why wouldn't you want the boast of leading Nick Cage to growing glory? Um... Another montage. Um, I'm kind of numb to all the montages at this point. There's another one, because why? Fuck it. Fuck it at this point. Uh, the training montage itself, though, really outs the Karate Kid and puts the best around to shame. Don't try to lift other people's confidence when the best around, the best in town, and the best person your partner's ever slept with is slow motion, big rowing, skull hustling, super muscling, Nick. The Handland Handman Boy in Blue Cage. He's looking good, and I'm here for the ride. So Walter, because he's got a little hog, but his hog's in the right place, he talks to the mayor, or the colonel. Again, uh, I I didn't take a note of what his name was. I could have paused and rewind, rewound the film. Didn't do it, haven't got time. He wages his patent for the sliding fuck chair against Mayor Colonel Muster's best big boy racer. He says to him, listen, you cunt, London, the Thames, be there or be square, you cowardly fuck. Now whilst Cage is on the outside as this little negotiation is going on, he sees Maggie with some other man and before he's rode so fast he's caught up a moving steamboat, now he's ran with his human legs caught up to a horse-drawn carriage. So, another fact we found out here, Nicolas Cage has the equivalent of, or at least ten times more than the power of two steeds. Two absolute billy horses. There's a lot of science to contend with. Some of you might say, well, it's just a film, isn't it? No, it's not. The camera just happened to be rolling and picked up a miracle, so we'll have less of that. Now, he reasons with Maggie, that she should leave this this joker, this fool, this buffoon. And why? He gives two reasons, which I think are very fair. The first reason, this guy's, and I quote, a wet goose. You tell me what that means. The second, this guy uses hair product. He's a wet goose, and he uses hair product. You think of any better reason than that, why someone that you love should leave the person that they're with. Is this an EastEnders plot? I don't know. I wasn't there. It's hard to argue with it. Handlin is accused by this cuck of not bathing. There we go. The classic. Nick Cage smells again. Shut up, you absolute moist bird. You absolute dripping goose. So, because of this accusation, and what we've seen so far, naturally, very much naturally, Handlin rips off his shirt and screams after Maggie. Um, absolutely unnecessary for him to rip his shirt off. Absolutely uncalled for. There wasn't any need for him to do this. But what you must understand, that like all Cage films, this was understated and very, very low-key. 
Now, immediately after, um, because narratively there's a lot of leaps in this film, I'm going to be honest, Mackie visits Hanlon in the night to say that she's overheard her uncle and her fiancé walking around the garden at night. They're up to something. She doesn't like it. And she just wants to give Hanlon a heads up. However, and I think for those of you who are more attuned um, to the workings of Nicolas Cage, you know where we're going with this. Cage is never one to miss an opportunity, so he quickly undresses Maggie and he raw dogs her. Simple as that. It took 70 minutes, but that's the hogging that we've signed up for, so good on you, Hanlon. When you sign that contract for a Nick Cage film, you're getting hogged. You know what I mean? It's just what happens. We're six episodes into this. Do you think this is a running gag? Do you think I just add this in to make myself laugh when I'm editing it? Okay, yes, that is one thing, but it happens. If you'd watch these films, you'd know I'm not like I know what I've seen. I've spent cumulatively now, let's say, close to you know eleven to thirteen hours purely watching Nicolas Cage films. I know what I've seen, so don't you tell me that I'm exaggerating about his dick. The next morning, post hog, Maggie jokes that she now knows what it's like to be, and I quote, compromised, by which I think she means cheating on your fiance. But she giggles and asks to be compromised again. Love that. Treating the betrayal of your betrothed the same as losing a mission on Call of Duty. Love it. Mayor Bing Bong, the uncle boy, he arrives. He pays Cage to lose the race in England. Now Cage agrees. I assume it was just so we can get back to banging the mayor's niece. Because he's a man of principle and priority and I don't know how many times this needs spelling out. But if I need to do it for the next hundred episodes, then I'll fucking do it. The next scene, and again, this is what I mean, where there's a lot of reaching in this film and a lot of gaps that the script asks you to fill in. Uh, Suddenly Cage and Maggie are married. Again, all over the place. I'm here for it. We also find out that Cage sent the fixed race money Back to Mayor Fart Boy. Because of what a fucking power play. What a colossal big dick energy. And if you don't stand Cage by now, what are you doing? How can you be six episodes in and not understand that his method is the key to happiness? Now, assuming that they've done some post-marital hogging as well, because, hey, 1800s is the dumb thing. They have some preamble celebrations. Handon heads out to give Ozzy McGee a complete and thorough dicking. Zooming out to an early lead, there's nearly a speckle of piss on his pristine neck. The script probably demanded for the race to be closer, but, you know, Cage is a, a method man. He goes with the flow. He doesn't do scripts, and he probably went off book to prove a point about his acting worth. However, Cage rose so powerfully that one of his rowing hinges... Uh, I don't know what the technical term for a rowing hinge is. You know, the bit where it has the little hook and it goes into the little U-shaped hook on the side of the boat and that's where you put the rowing thing. Uh, That does the little break. Uh, That goes all Willy Wonka. But being a big brain, he fixes it, regains the lead. He loses it again. He goes to fix it a second time. Can't quite manage it because he's thought, you know, I'm absolutely, I'm bone dry of piss. I could really go for some sweet Australian piss. So Billy, the manager, looking for a little bit of redemption, dives into the Thames, 
Although, if you look at where they're filming here, even though this was filmed in 86, definitely, they definitely weren't filming in London. That's not the Thames. I've seen the Thames. Well dirty. Sort it out, London. Uh, not the Thames at all. That's any old river. But Cage is such a powerful actor, such a screen presence, that you accept it. You accept the narrative dissonance. It's all good. So they fixed the little boat. Cage could have done it. Um, but again, he also wanted to give Billy a chance to redeem himself as well. So that's how generous he is as an actor, how generous he is as a performer. It's one of the reasons that he's not on social media. In his own words, can you imagine me after two bottles of wine and Twitter? Yes, I can. And that's why I want you on it, sir. Now, despite the fact here that the Aussie's about 10 miles ahead, Cage catches up. There's a synth score. Um, quite honestly, the synth score is far too into this race. Uh, I think the pumping bass and the synth droid are purely why Hanlon, sabotaged, probably hog raging, was able to retake the lead twice. Um, genuinely, a inhuman effort of strength. Impossible to get your head around unless you've actually seen it. Cage and the Aussie trash talk each other some more, but the strangely, the music is actually so loud that you can't hear anything that they're saying. So I assume this was a choice in the edit because the Aussie might have called Nick Cage the N-words. I don't know. If you've got subtitles, let me know what they were saying there. Next, some unnecessary slow motion, followed by Cage rightfully taking his place in first. Handlin, of course, wins the least drama fueled boat race you have ever witnessed as the boy in blue ascends to the man in your wife. That night, Hanlon thanks Bill and Dulce and quickly fucks them flakes right off. No time for cooks bringing you down. They've been nothing but ne'er-do-wells to your progress. You don't need them. However, the Colonel's men attack Billy and Cage and Cage comes to the rescue. Because of course he does. He's always there and he's got your back. Cage just fucking haymakers this stuntman and then just shoes him in for a little bit. And then they these four people just face off like idle characters in an RPG game. So, um, note to self, games developers, Nicolas Cage video game. Printing money. You know, tap X to Rage Hog. What, do you want me to write? I'll write it. I'll write the game. I'll do it pro bono if I have to. But I want 50% of the earnings. Now they reunite with a right good scrap as the credits appear, telling us that Ned Hanlon went on to win over 200 consecutive races and defended his world championships across the world. And upon retirement, he ran for public office and won by a landslide, which is exactly the same as what would happen if Nick Cage ran in real life. It's life imitating art. So um, if Nick Cage was in office, if Nick Cage was the president of the United States of America which at the moment is the only positive future we can hope for, I would immediately apply for US citizenship so I could vote for him and eat his dick. So overall, uh, The Boy in Blue, quite a boring film, unfortunately. It has little moments. Um, it really is just more of a showcase for Nick Cage and his uncompromisingly American attitude to Canadian filmmaking. These scripts leaves a little to be desired. There's a few... Um, just 
time leaps in the story, which you have to quickly work out to yourself. And um, the other actors, they're there. They're there. The dog was good. I liked the boat. I thought the boat was a good actor. But it really is a showcase for Nicolas Cage. And I'm not complaining at that. Otherwise, it'd make for a very uninteresting episode, despite all the interruptions by Ian. And I hope you have nightmares, you fucking ghoul. So, overall, the film gets from me a bronze cage. Uh, This is probably the first on this list of cage films, which I would have to suggest don't really go and invest your time into this. You won't come out of it having gained much of anything that you couldn't have read from Ned Hanlon's Wikipedia page, in all honesty. However, however, as a Nick Cage film, obviously, 10 out of 10. Uh, two raw hogs, a third one, you think about it, and it is implied, and a lot of um, strong, firm Nick Cage torso, which is always a solid 10 out of 10 from me. So there it is, episode 6, The Boy in Blue. We move on to the next film, and the next stop in the journey to Drew Cage Nirvana next week. Again, sorry that this episode has come up a little bit late. Um, Just some external forces working against you, boy, trying to get this one out on time. Again, going forward, um, because I am now technically employed again, I suppose, and I am hoping that it won't interfere too much with trying to get these episodes out on a Friday there is a chance it might, so we might be looking at weekend releases going forward. Uh, we really have to see how the life schedule of myself goes from here on out. Um, so I'll keep you posted if we're going to be looking at weekends in the future. So stay posted. As ever, please consider following the show on Twitter, which is at cage underscore podcast, and Instagram at cage rage pod. YouTube, search Cage Rage, Nicholas Cage Podcast. And you can also consider giving us a little search, a little bit of support, if you feel so inclined, on the Kofi page, which is coffee.com forward slash Daryl Edge, K-O hyphen F-I dot com forward slash D-A-R-R-Y-L-E-D-G-E. The support is greatly appreciated. And if you could give us a little list on Spotify, a little follow, it wouldn't go amiss. It'd be really appreciated. And I'd be forever grateful. And you will always have a seat right next to your boy and the big C, the true cage, Nirvana. So thank you for listening. If you have been, it's always a pleasure to have you on board. We'll see you hopefully at some confirmed and steady schedule next week. But until then, keep on, keep on caging. Uh, bye.